Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this last Sunday of the church year is from the Gospel reading. St. Mark, as he records these words of our Lord, where Jesus says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. So far our text, dear Christian friends, No one knows the day, so says our Lord. There are, though, many who suppose they do know it. One of the bigger Hollywood films to hit the silver screen as of late and recently, already a box office hit, is entitled 2012. Evident even by its title, the film draws on the the, the prophecy of sorts concerning the ancient Mayan calendar that suggests that this world will come to its end on the 21st day of December in the year 2012. While some take this imminent close of the days according to the Mayan calendar more seriously than others, there's certainly been no shortage of those throughout the years and the ages who have predicted the end. There have been the ancients, the the medievals, who had that particular day in mind in 365 A.D. Hillary of Poitiers announced that the world was going to end in that year. Of course, it didn't. It's said that based on the astrological alignment of several planets, one John of Toledo, an Englishman, predicted the end of days would be in the year 1186. Then came 1187. William Miller, leader of the Millerite movement, predicted March 21st of 1843 to be the day. When that didn't pan out, he then predicted October 22nd, 1844. As the 22nd day of October 1844 approached, many caught up in the frenzy. They sold their their property, quit their jobs, waited for the end. And the 22nd of October came and it went like so many days before. And that wasn't the only time either that that one would, quote, recalculate the date. One group that follows in the footsteps of Charles Taze Russell predicted the end of days would come in 1914. Then in 1915, 18, 20, 25, 41, 75, 94, and still counting. And to this day, television, radio personalities, based on their carefully calculated conjecture, will put all their chips on one space on the calendar. I recently visited the website of a popular religious radio personality based right here in the Bay Area, And on his website, the first page of his website has a banner at the bottom that reads, Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. But I suppose if this group had a website 14 or so years ago, the website would have read, Judgment Day, mid-September 1994. It's last prediction. Endless predictions of the end. Many arrived at by dizzying and, and acrobatic arithmetic based on biblical numbers that were never intended to be divided or multiplied or stretched or strained or manipulated to the nth degree. No one knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, and not even in his state of humiliation before his resurrection, 
in which he so often withheld from himself his own divine prerogatives, not even the Son, says Jesus, but only the Father. Because no one knows, the better part of wisdom is always to be ready, isn't it? We're told to be prepared for, for when the big one, the big quake strikes again. We're, we're told to, to have our plan practiced and ready for when the smoke alarm goes off in the deep of the night. We're told to be ready because you just don't know when these things will be. Earthquakes and fires don't come with warnings, with warning signs. Ah, but we say, signs there will be, we're told, for the end, right? Jesus says it. He said in the text, in those days, Jesus says, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heavens and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Those sound to me like unmistakable signs, almost enough to cause someone to put off preparing until we start to feel the ground shake or we start to smell the smoke. But if Jesus... In foretelling of these signs, if Jesus would have been encouraging procrastination until the lights do go out, he certainly wouldn't have exhorted us to be on your guard. He wouldn't have said to us today, you don't know when the time will be. But concerning these signs for a moment, regarding these signs of sun, moon, and stars, it is hard to imagine what they might be, what they might look like. Good biblical scholars vary widely in their opinions about what they would look like. Some think they're actually far more common, far more common occurrences than a singular one-time solar or lunar or stellar event. Things like solar eclipses, some suppose, like the days, like the sun's fading light at the end of the day, like falling stars, shooting stars, meteor showers, the kind many witnessed last weekend. Events in the heavens that occur in every generation. Some understand them that way. Others, though, understand them to be unique to the end of days. For the heavens, indeed, it says, will be shaken. Whichever. Whether they're more regular, perpetual indicators that we are indeed in the last days and we are. Or they're to be swift and singular events. Whichever. Regardless, Jesus leaves no doubt that we need not and we should not tremble and fear them. Even if the heavens do tremble, we need not. Why not? Well, in Luke's account of, the, of this very event, these very words Jesus was sharing, in Luke's account, he includes words that Mark, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose not to include. But in Luke's account, we have reason why. Onto his discussion and discourse about these signs in Luke's account, we have these words of Jesus when he says, Now, when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Luther put it so well. Maybe you, maybe you read it last week on the front inside cover of your bulletin where it was included in last week's bulletin. Maybe you read it, but Luther put it so well because on words like these of Jesus, Luther said this. He said, Christ is saying this, although creation will take on a different appearance and the sun and the moon will become black and dark and give you a sour look, don't be frightened and crawl into corners when these things begin to happen, but lift up your heads. For as Jesus would say, Luther writes, remember that you wanted me to do these things. 
For if I'm to save you, I must first attack those who hold you captive. If you were lying captive in a castle and heard men shooting and storming into it, you'd not at all be afraid of the shooting and the storming. You would actually be glad about it if you knew that it, the attack had begun for your sake, to free you in this way. Do that here. Think, Luther says, here in this way of these things, these signs. As you drove in today, uh, perhaps drove into the parking lot here and, and saw the, I think it's a Chinese pistachio in, in the middle of the parking lot, or perhaps as you drove the streets of our valley this time of year, you see the fall colors. Beautiful. Maybe they're not what they would be driving on a Sunday afternoon in Vermont or New Hampshire, but nonetheless, the fall colors, the foliage, it's beautiful. When the leaves look as they do, you know winter's on its way. Jesus used leaf illustrations too, remember, in the text. He said, when the branches of the fig tree become tender and leaf out, you, you know that summer's near. So too the signs of his coming. They remind us, they indicate to us that, that he is at the door. And so close as he is, it's no wonder at all then that, that he says with such urgency, keep watch. Keep awake. Awake. That's, that's a good choice of words. For a people like us, a people who naturally tend to doze, it's not that we don't live with a sense of urgency about things in life. We certainly do. But about which things? Our iPhones and our electronic organizers, they keep us scheduled, don't they? Prompt, mindful, diligent. We're vigilant about flu vaccines. And the latest in cancer research, surveying and scrutinizing the horizon for access to these things, for breakthroughs in these things. Some, they check the Dow Jones Industrial Average daily, hour by hour, some even minute by minute, noting the trends in order to read the economic signs of the times. It's not that we don't live with a sense of alertness, but how many iPhones are programmed to remind you the time of his coming is near? How many public service announcements on the evening news caution that he's coming? Be ready. Be prepared. How many times does trading on Wall Street close for the day with the reminder that your treasure in heaven is near so we may not be trading tomorrow? It's not how we're naturally inclined to be spiritually awake and minded. No, we're, we're a fallen people and therefore we're a sleepy people. A sleepy people to spiritual things. Each of us are inclinations affected by the sin that is within each and every one of us. And so wrongly, we tend to doze. Even when the Lord shakes the heavens of our little world by way of a health scare perhaps in life or by a critical event of some sort, we all have them. We all have them, whether in our life or the life of an extended family member, be it what it may, still with these we're so inclined just to hit the snooze button, dismiss the urgency of his coming or of life's shortness and just to doze off again. Why do we do it? For the same reason that Peter and James and John did in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus had called them to watch and to pray with him for the critical, his critical hour was at hand. And they fell asleep 
time and again. Why was it that they did that? Jesus said, the spirit is willing. The new man in us is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even in today's text, he warns us there's going to be temptation toward that that spiritual slumber. What does he say? Note it well. He says, stay awake, therefore, for you know not when the Lord of the house is, is going to return. Whether it be in the evening, he says, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning. You know what he just did there? Jesus just described the four watches, the four Roman watches of the night. When guards would be posted, and it was their duty to watch at their appointed watch, and and on penalty of death, to stay awake. But you can well imagine the temptation for those watchmen, those Roman watchmen to sleep. There in the still of the night, when men naturally sleep, when we're inclined to close our eyes and rest, when it seems that nothing of significance is happening, But if because of the severity of consequences, Roman watchmen were so careful in watching, how much more us, enabled by God's word and sacrament, how much more should we watch and stay awake for his coming? But remember this. Remember this, friends. Unlike the Roman watchmen in the night, it's it's not threat that chiefly compels us to watch for our Lord's return, for he's not coming to to settle the score with you. He already did that. He already did that. God, the judge in human flesh, settled the score of every man and every sin, when every sin of every man was judged in one man. On the cross of Calvary, every man was guilty. But the eternal sentence, the eternal punishment of all men, God commuted to one man, his own son, Jesus Christ. Every man through Christ now stands forgiven, pardoned. The gavel has sounded, the gavel has dropped. The sentence is read and it goes like this and I quote, There is now no condemnation, St. Paul writes, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not counting our trespasses, our crimes against us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but those words, never. They're yours forever. God already settled the score with the human race and his son, and he's got the scars to prove it. He's the one. Who did that for us. He's the one for whom we wait. And we confess that in our sermon hymn. Maybe you, maybe you caught it in the sermon hymn. The third verse. We sang those dear tokens of his passion. Still his dazzling body bears cause of, of endless exultation to his ransomed worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars. Beautiful. Our own window, our second coming window. Take a look at it on your way out today. The window that depicts his second coming also depicts those beautiful scars, nail prints in his hands. On a day like today and in the morning, not so easily seen. But when the afternoon sun moves to this side of the building and the the rays of light shine through, they dazzle. 
with brightness, those, those prints in his hands. We wait with eager expectation for him who once said to you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. It'll be, friends, your liberation day. Not from, not from, the, sen- not from the, the sentence of your sin. That's already taken place, but, but from the effect of all sin. It'll be your liberation day from sickness, from infirmity, from reason to weep, from, from threat, and every anxiety emancipated. So, keep watch. One thing to leave you with here today. The weather in the first days of June in the year 1944 was drab. It was drab on on the Channel coast of France. Nothing seemed to be going on. And so because of the conditions, Nazi forces stood down their alert and because their eyes were set somewhere else with confidence set to another part of France, Pas de Calais, northeast of the River Seine, expecting action from that direction. So because of these things, they weren't watching with much urgency the Normandy coast. Many senior officers were even away on weekend furloughs. Erwin Rommel himself had a few days leave to celebrate his wife's birthday. But just after midnight on the 6th of June, Allied paratroopers began to descend down on the French countryside behind enemy lines in the early morning watch sometime before 6.30 in the morning, the largest invasion force in history commenced its frontal surprise attack on German-occupied France. The supreme commander of German forces, the Fuhrer, Hitler, he slept. He slept soundly. The war in Europe turned on the events that day, considered by some to be the defining moment of the 20th century. And and the news of the successful and decisive Allied victory of coming liberation which would sweep the land, wending its way into the French villages, making its way into village homes. And as the Allied forces made their way inland, as the Allied forces made their way inland, how the many watching and waiting village and townspeople, yet under occupation, how they must have kept vigil and watched and waited. They knew not the day nor the hour their liberation would come. But they watched because they knew it would be soon. And they looked and they, and they listened for the signs. Artillery fire. Explosions. Things that otherwise would strike fear. But now under these conditions and circumstances, things that swelled their joy. And soon, hope Hope gave way to sight. The church bells rang, townspeople cheered and sang, and they danced. Bottles of wine stored up just for the occasion were popped open and enjoyed. And the liberation forces were embraced by the many who would lie in the streets. As one put it, not surprisingly, it's a reception that most would remember with great fondness. You remember, too, who's coming for you. 
and coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Come. In his name, amen.